Sirah, a biography of Muhammad, the last messenger of Allah, written by Professor Dr. Safwat Khalilovich. Chapter 30 Public Preaching of Islam Warn Your Nearest Kinfolk Historians divide Muhammad's prophetic mission to two periods, the Meccan and the Medinian one. The former lasted 13 years, from the first revelation to the migration from Mecca to Medina, the latter 10 years, from the migration to the end of the Prophet's life. Both periods have their distinct stages and characteristics specific to place and time, and they should be regarded within the context of everyday life and historical events. The Meccan period of Muhammad's mission may be divided into three stages. The first, the secret preaching of Islam, which lasted three years. The second, the public preaching to the Mecca citizens from the beginning of the fourth year until the end of the tenth year of the prophethood known in the history of Islam as the year of grief. The third, the preaching outside Mecca from the end of the tenth year of the prophethood until the prophet's migration to Medina. The period of clandestine preaching lasted three years. In that period, the prophet, peace be upon him, preached about his prophethood secretly to his closest circle, members of his household, and the most trusted friends. At the beginning of the fourth year of the prophethood, verse 214 of Surah 26 was revealed. The Almighty Creator told the Prophet, وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ Warn your nearest kinfolk. The message was that the Prophet should call to Islam the other members of his family as well, in addition to members of his household who had already converted. Soon after this revelation, the Prophet, peace be upon him, went out and climbed on top of the Safa hill. He then started calling his relatives, shouting, Ya Sabah! A cry Arabs used to assemble the community in an emergency. When they assembled, he asked them, If I told you that enemy's cavalry was about to appear from behind this hill, would you believe me? We have never heard you telling lies, they responded. Behold, then, I have been sent to warn you of a terrible punishment if you do not follow me. At that, the Prophet's uncle, Abu Lahab, exclaimed, May you be ruined! Is this what you simoned us for? Having said this, Abu Lahab left in anger. After this event, Surah 111 was revealed to the Prophet, peace be upon him. May the hands of Abu Lahab be ruined. May he be ruined too. Neither his wealth nor his gains will help him. He will burn in the flaming fire, and so will his wife, the firewood carrier, with a palm fiber rope around her neck. 
It is important to stress that this surah contains a solid proof that the Qur'an is the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not a human discourse. Abu Lahab could have accepted Islam if only formally, verbally. Had he done it, he would have brought the Prophet in a very difficult situation. Since the Prophet preached that people should judge one another by their declarations, while it was for Allah to judge their true inner selves. This is emphasized in many sayings of the Prophet, peace be upon him. We have been commanded to judge people on the basis of what they declare, and we leave it to Allah to judge what is in their hearts. However, Abu Lahab did not accept Islam, not even verbally only. As a matter of fact, the idea actually never crossed his mind. He died an infidel, and the verse clearly saying that he and his wife would burn in hell was revealed in his lifetime. Human beings do not know the future, so no human being would dare pass such a judgment on Abu Lahab, having no way of knowing if Abu Lahab would perhaps realize the truth and embrace Islam toward the end of his life. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, being the all-knowing, was in a position to know what awaited Abu Lahab and the worse is a proof that the Qur'an is his speech. Proclaim openly what you have been commanded. By warning his nearest kin, the Prophet already started his public preaching of Islam in a certain way. The period of intense calling to Islam started after the revelation of the closing verses of Surah 15. Fasda bima tu'maru وَأَعْرِضْ عَنِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ إِنَّا كَفَيْنَاكَ الْمُسْتَهْزِئِينَ الَّذِينَ يَجْعَلُونَ مَعَ اللَّهِ إِلَهًا آخَرَ فَسَوْفَ يَعْلَمُونَ وَلَقَدْ نَعْلَمُ أَنَّكَ يَضِيَقُ صَدْرُكَ بِمَا يَقُولُونَ فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَكُمْ مِنَ السَّاجِدِينَ وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ So, proclaim openly what you have been commanded to say, and ignore the idolaters. We are enough for you against all those who ridiculed your message, who set up another God beside God. They will come to know we are well aware that your heart is weighed down by what they say. Celebrate the glory of your Lord and be among those who bow down to him. Worship your Lord until what is certain comes to you. Chapter 15 Verses from 94 to 99 These verses actually contain an order to the Prophet, peace be upon him, to start calling to Islam publicly, and he did so. He started speaking about his prophethood in public and calling people to believe in it. That required explaining to the people the essence of the Islamic creed. La ilaha illallah. There is no God but Allah. This means that Allah 
is the only God and the only one to serve. By preaching this, the prophet, peace be upon him, clashed with the pagan ideology, which recognized Allah as the supreme deity, but also propagated idol worship. The Quran makes several references to the fact that the pre-Islamic Arabs believed in Allah, but that they were polytheists, as they believed that the idols were the vehicle that would make them closer to Allah. Allah's Messenger, peace be upon him, had to tell the truth to people, and that what the idol worshippers believed in was absolutely wrong. There was no intermediary in Allah's religion, whilst what they did was a blatant example of paganism. The idols that Arabs believed in were man-made, so how could they be deities? The religion that Muhammad, peace be upon him, was calling to was natural and easy. As it preached that the only Allah was God, that he was one, eternal, perfect, without a peer, the Prophet, peace be upon him, called Arabs and the whole mankind into the religion of Tawheed, monotheism, the admission that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above everything and that he is the only creator and the only one deserving worship. The Prophet explained to those whom he called to Islam the essence of the Islamic creed contained in Surah 112. Say, He is God, the One, God the Eternal. He begot no one, nor was He begotten. No one is comparable to Him. In its four short verses, this concise surah lays down the foundations of the Islamic creed. Allah is one. He is the creator of this world and everything on it. Allah is from time immemorial. He has not begotten and has not been begotten and he has no equal. Allah is eternal. He is the strong, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the wise, the universal benefactor, the merciful, the sustainer, the watchful. Allah is described with all attributes of perfection. Nothing is like him and it is impermissible to identify him with his creatures. The properties that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attributed to himself should be believed in and they should not be compared to any properties of his creatures. Allah is as he described himself in the Quran and as his messenger Muhammad peace be upon him described him in the reliable hadith. The result of the Prophet's public preaching was the conversion of those individuals whose hearts Allah had opened to embrace Islam. However, big troubles and tribulations for the Prophet and the first Muslims began at the same time. The pagans started abusing and persecuting the Muslims, especially the slaves and those who did not come from prominent Quraysh families and did not enjoy protection of their social class. Suffering and Tribulations of the First Muslims The pagans did not react in the beginning 
when the news spread of a young man calling into a new religion that lasted until they faced the teaching of Islam about idols. Despite its logical nature and human beings' natural inclination to accept it, the Meccan idol worshippers did not do so. They understood that embracing Islam meant they had to submit to Allah and His Messenger and that they could not do with themselves and their assets what they usually did. They realized that by accepting Islam, they would lose the leadership and reputation they enjoyed in Mecca, the place of the chief Arab idol-worshipping shrine at the time. There were 360 idols in and around the Kaaba, visited annually by tribes from all over Arabia that placed Quraysh in the center of all events, as they made a handsome profit from the trade that flourished at the time of the pagan pilgrimage. For such reasons, the majority of Quraysh did not accept Muhammad's call to Islam, but defended idols and idol-worshipping. There were reasonable people among Quraysh who heed the Prophet's call and embraced Islam, but they were a minority. The first Muslims included slaves, like Bilal al-Habashi, and a considerable number came from ordinary Quraysh families, not from the social class that could have provided them protection. They became the target of the pagans' rage. In addition to insults, swear words, and other forms of abuse, physical torture also became very frequent. The Siras and other historical literature record numerous testimonies about the tortures and sufferings endured by the first Muslims. Abyssinian slave Bilal ibn Rebah was one of those who were tortured at the very dawn of Islam. He embraced Islam sincerely, with all his heart. His owner was Umayyah ibn Khalif. On midday heat, he would take Bilal out, order him to lie on the glowing hot desert sand, and put a heavy stone on his chest. Bilal was exposed to horrible suffering, but he did not waver for a single moment. His words, Ahad, Ahad, the one there is but one God, hold a prominent place in the history of Islam and represent a symbol of sacrifice in God's path. Many other companions, men and women alike, were also victims of torture. The famous Islamic scholar Hafiz al-Dahabi in Siyar al-Alam al-Nubala wrote about Bilal al-Habashi. Bilal was among the first converts to Islam. For that, he was exposed to horrible torture. It is transmitted from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the first seven people who publicly declared they embraced Islam were Allah's Messenger, peace be upon him, Abu Bakr, Ammar ibn Yasir, and his mother Sumeya, Bilal, Suhaib al-Rumi, and Mikdad. Allah's Messenger and Abu Bakr were both protected as they came from prominent Quraysh clans. The other five were, however, exposed to horrible tortures. The pagans used to place them in iron armors and leave them thus on the hot sand.
According to one tradition about the torture of Sumeya, her husband Yasir, and son Ammar, Allah's Prophet, peace be upon him, came across the members of the Banu Mahzum tribe who were taking out Ammar ibn Yasir and his parents, all were Muslims, at the scorching midday heat and torturing them on the hot Meccan sand. The Prophet said, Have patience, O family of Yasir. You are promised paradise. Sabran ala Yasir. Amar's father, Yasir, succumbed to the torture, and his mother, Sumeya, was killed by Abu Jehel, who stabbed a spear to her genitals. Sumeya, radiallahu anha, is considered the first martyr shaheed in Islam. The staunchness of the first believers, despite different forms, of abuse and torture they suffered in the hands of the pagans is an indication of the sincerity of their faith, commitment to its principles, and the greatness of their spirit. It was a result of their spiritual confidence and the conviction born out of reflection. It was a result of the inner contentment they found in the new religion and their desire that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should give them something far greater than the suffering, abuse, and torture they endured. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was an affluent man. One of the things he used his fortune for was buying of slaves and then releasing them at the times of brutal torture and abuse of the first Muslims in Mecca. He manumitted another six slaves who had converted to Islam, in addition to Bilal. These slaves were Amir ibn Fuhaira, Ummu Ubais, Zinira, El Nadia, and her daughter, and a female servant of Benu Muammil, who had been tortured by Umar ibn al-Khattab before his conversion to Islam. In that way, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu showed the utmost solidarity with the people who were exposed to terrible suffering for no other reason but their faith. The Prophet, peace be upon him, was not spared the persecution either. His noble lineage and his uncle Abu Talib provided a certain degree of protection to him. The fiercest persecution of the Prophet came from his uncle Abu Lahab and Abu Lahab's wife, Ummu Jamil, Abu Sufyan's sister, Abu Jehel, and Uqba ibn Abi Muayt. It is recorded in the Siras that Abu Lahab followed the Prophet, peace be upon him, at the time of the pilgrimage to holy places. He would follow the Prophet on squares and streets, shouting the Prophet was telling lies. He did not stop at that, but would sometimes also throw rocks at the Prophet, who would leave a bloody trail behind. After the death of Abdullah, the Prophet's second son, Abu Lahab rejoiced with malice and rushed to his friends to inform them that Muhammad was left without a son, thus without posterity. The malice and insults by the pagans are referred to in Surah 108 of the Noble Qur'an.
Abu Lahab's wife, Ummu Jamil, was every bit as hostile toward the Prophet, peace be upon him, as her husband. Her hatred was so strong that she used to throw thorns on the road the Prophet was about to take, and she would also lay them in front of his house at night. She was a sharp-tongued woman who tried to make the Prophet's life miserable in every possible way, and who kindled the flames of hatred, contention, and intrigues. She even encouraged Arab poets to slander the Prophet. For that reason, she was referred to in the Quran as Hammalat al-Hatab, the slanderer, in order to hurt the Prophet and his family the maximum. Abu Lahab and Ummu Jamil persuaded their sons, Utbah and Utaybah, to divorce their respective wives, Rukaya and Ummu Kulthum, who were the Prophet's daughters. They did so, thus expressing their hatred and hostility toward the message sent down by the Lord of the Worlds through the Prophet.